Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to episode 35 of the Scaling Your Business podcast. For this episode, I've got Dan Gable joining me. Dan is the founder of Sprat and shout out. Dan, you're very welcome to the show. Hey, great to see you, Ryan. Nice to be here. Delighted to have you on the show. As usual with guests, I like to go back to the very first chapter. Um, Through some research, I found out that you went to high school in Chelmsford, just outside of London. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Did you grow up there? Chelmsford, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, grew up there. Any favorite memories, standard memories from your childhood growing up there? Yeah, oh God, favorite memories. I don't know, to be honest, I couldn't wait to get out. I couldn't get, <laughs> couldn't wait to get out of Chelmsford. You know, I, I kind of wanted to, you know, I sort of knew I wanted to get involved with video at a pretty early age. So um, yeah, I, it, my biggest memory of school actually was I was, I, for years, I was waiting to be of a certain age to be able to use all the CCTV kit they had there. So literally, you know, it was like four years seeing this thing. And then and then right before when it came to my year, when I got up to the year where I could finally get involved in cameras and stuff, someone stole all the kit. So it was oh. pretty it was pretty depressing really. That's my that's one of my lasting memories of of uh, of school life actually that disappointment. What was it that wanted you to get involved in video so early? Because uh, I'm assuming you went to secondary school there, which is in your teens. So that's an early yeah. age to know that you wanted to get involved in video. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I think my, my dad worked in, in TV. And uh, so I used to go to like, go up to LWT studios, um, you know, when I was young, when I was 10 years old and, and, you know, walk around the studios and stuff. So I knew that's what I wanted to do. And it was so different than like, it's, it's really bizarre thinking about how different things were to now. Because, you know, then, like, it was a, like, you know, you couldn't just get cameras. You know, I had a little kind of eight millimeter film camera when I, when I was young. But video, like, you know, it wasn't even really around as, as a consumer product when I was young. So it was quite a big deal to even see a camera. Uh, and, and then when I finally got into it and working to TV, you know, I'd say, say you know, I'm an editor or, or you know, I'm a sound mixing or whatever. No one really understood what you, what, what, you, what you ever did or no one understood what I did. But now like, everyone makes content. So it's amazing kind of seeing that change. You referenced the old days, uh, the camera. My father uh, has a huge passion for photography since he was a teenager. He's 55 years old. And one of the recent purchases was a Leica camera, but with no digital screen on the back. So you can take a photograph, but can't see the outcome for days, which confuses the hell out of me but he says it brings him back to his childhood of taking photographs and not knowing the outcome yeah yeah it's amazing i i think you know i'm really lucky actually to have and i was speaking to a designer actually like last week kind of similar age to me similar similar background and i think it's an amazing time to have been in the industry where seeing this huge transformation with technology so like you say you, you know we didn't have like undo buttons when I I used to edit radio shows like all you know day in day out and it was razor blades you know cutting bits of tape together putting it round your neck if it was an interview having to remember which bit was what you know which 
kind of by the length of it, which bit it was. But there was no kind of, you know, it was such a manual process, but it really taught you about timing and, and everything took so long and it was such a pain that, that you, you had to kind of get really good at it. Now it's, it's almost too easy actually now with computers, it's, it's funny. Yeah, you, 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 you sound like you've got a real passion for the industry. Um, who do you think had the biggest impact on you in your early days? Oh, so yeah, interesting. I, I guess in the early days, um, like really early days, uh, it was a guy called Jacques Tati, uh, like a French filmmaker. And I remember when I was really young, I was probably like 10 or 11 watching Jacques Tati films. And it really made me understand kind of the construction of these things. Like, you know, I was quite lucky early on to sort of, because I was around it so much, but he made me really understand like audio, the importance of sound, the importance of how things can be happening off screen to add, like you don't, he was the first person where I really understood you didn't necessarily have to see the thing for it to have an impact on you. Like he, he was incredible with sound, you know, stuff happening off screen that, that, that kind of added to the story or added to the impact of things. And it, and it really, you know, I was super young, but you know, that was a huge impact. Um, and then I guess the, the other thing, the other massive impact was, uh, it's, it's a cliche, but, um, but Steven Spielberg actually, but I, not even, you know, not even Jaws, but there was a film called Duel, which I think was his first film. And I remember watching it when I was young and thinking it was the most amazing film I, I'd ever seen. It's, it's, it's still to this day a brilliant film. And in a way, Jaws is like Jewel, you know, in the sea, actually. It was just about this, this, this kind of, I, I can't even remember how to, how to describe it, but it was basically two kind of trucks almost with the story. There was, sorry, it's one truck and a car. So it was basically this, this truck driver kind of harassing this car driver, but it was almost as much about the truck and the car as it was about the people. It was just an incredible film. So that had a huge impact on me as well. I didn't realize at the time he would be so, such a huge director. You know? Yeah. What did you say it was called, Jewel? Jewel, yeah, definitely watch it. Steven Spielberg, I think it's his first film. Okay, well, well, I definitely got to watch it. Uh, be before we jump into business, uh, with all my guests, I do a bit of research. I noticed that you were nominated for a BAFTA in 2002. You've been to places like Jordan. Uh, you've worked on TV programs such as the Brit Awards, Big Brother, Top Gear. What's one thing you're into or curious about that not a lot of people know? Oh, one thing. I, um, I did a bit of stand-up comedy when I was young. And I love, I love anything like I love comedy and I love doing I love writing stand-up comedy I didn't necessarily love performing it but I really like writing it I love the kind of exactitude of, of, of writing jokes and uh, I got a real kick out of that and it's taught me so much about writing actually have you got a favorite comedian yeah do you know what it's that it keeps changing it was Bill Hicks for a long time and then I saw I was on TikTok Kind of embarrassingly i'm probably too old to be on tiktok but i saw some old billy Connolly stuff and it just reminded me how great a comedian he, he was and is so so yeah i, I yeah. guess those two yeah i mean there, there's so many like ricky gervais i think is amazing there, there, there's so many great sure. comedians. yeah there's 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 an endless amount of comedians if you ever want to laugh favorite aspect of being an entrepreneur have you got one yeah i guess control Ultimately, I, I think, I, you know, I, I'm not good in employment. It just, I've never kind of made it work that well for me. I kind of, I, I, I sort of 
don't know the constraints of it. I'm not very good with company politics. I think entrepreneurialism is really about being in control of your destiny and, and being able to kind of serve people to the best of your ability without really anyone else getting in the way necessarily. It's, it's kind of crazy as that sounds. You're, not, you're creating a system rather than being part of the system. No, I'm 100% I'm, I'm with you on that. Look, you're big on video content. For those who haven't potentially created or posted a video on, let's say LinkedIn as the B2B platform, have you any tips on where they can look for ideas and inspiration? I'm hinting at one of your recent LinkedIn videos that you put up. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not getting the hint, but I think I think the inspiration video is really what's you know what is what's in you. You know, I, I think there's so much kind of there's so much content now, and and you know, I, I I say this a lot that we're in the age of authenticity. That that really you know nowadays it's about being your true self. You know, being authentic. You know, not necessarily selling so much as, as telling stories. So I think it's really finding what interests you and and putting it out there it's the same rules as like you know any kind of artistry like songwriting filmmaking everything works if it's if it's a true reflection of yourself and and if you just try and do what other people are doing i don't think it works very well so you know it's just about you know what be yourself you know it's so easy to put content out now it's incredibly easy yeah. so you know everyone should be doing it for sure well, irrespective of taking a hint or not, you answered the same way you answered your previous video, which shows that your your, your answer is genuine. So <laughs> <That's> <laughs> nice one. Um, my dad wrote a book on storytelling and uh, one formula that I've followed in terms of storytelling, probably because of him, is the Pixar strategy. I don't know if it is the Pixar strategy. That's what I call it, where it's five steps to a story in the beginning. Something happened because of that, because of that, and as a result. Um, how do you tackle new projects? Because you're involved in a lot of videos, whether it's commercial, music, TV work, corporate work. Um, is there a strategy like the one I've just mentioned, the Pixar strategy that you'll use as a core foundation for your videos? Yes, yeah, a really good question. I do, do I have a go-to storytelling strategy? I, I do, I'm not sure that I do. I mean, there's, there's great, you know, there, there's a great book. I think the, the, the seven basic plots that, that kind of said to every, every film or every story, there's only seven stories, which I absolutely agree with. So I, t I tend to sometimes, I don't, normally afterwards, I try and fit it into one of these kind of seven stories, if you like, but I, I, I think I just go, a really good question i i think i just is there like a storyboard that you do before you tackle anything i no, i kind of create it in my head really like you know storyboard comes later and the storyboard is a, normally a way of kind of visualizing it for you and then you know then for clients to understand the storyboard is actually i i don't use that as a story storytelling tool i use it as a as a just a tool to make sure i've got the, the right shots on, on the shoot so it's a kind of it's almost like a to-do list so i i created the stories because I, I find it quite constricting kind of writing out a storyboard but i but but i but yeah i come i i guess i just try and find the truth like if it's a music video i just try and find 
just an angle, a story, you know, and if it's a corporate video, it's the same. It's just something that kind of, I, I use, I know it sounds, you know, I guess I'm waffling a bit because I'm not quite sure about the process, but I, I, it's a bit like, you know, writing a joke. It's a very similar process. You come up with a premise, then you construct it to be quite elegant in, in its writing. It's the same with video. It's really, you know, what, what you find with video, and it, it's sort of obvious, but it's kind of true as well, is that, is that you know some things that look really great on paper don't look so great on video because video is a whole different way of communicating it yeah uh, and so it, it's really you know it's a very visual medium and 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 there's also stuff that doesn't need to be written on the page to make a video work so it's almost like some of the best video ideas actually you know don't look great on paper um but but they work really well on video so so to answer your question, try to trying to answer it in the best of my ability, is to think about it visually or, or okay. and in sound rather than think about it necessarily in words. So almost, you know, almost closer your eyes and imagining how it's going to look and sound. And that's the process. Where do you pull inspiration from? So when you're like thinking of uh, any TV work or music videos or more videos where you have more creative freedom and you're not restricted, where do you, is there places that you go to to pull inspiration from? I think it's memory. I think, you know, I, I, I'm kind of lucky enough, you know, certainly in my, you know, when I worked in TV, I probably spent more time in watching content than I did kind of watching real life. So I've got huge kind of reference library of, of films and TV, for, you know, going back for years. You know, I might not necessarily remember the actors or the names, but I remember kind of specific things about them. There's something also about kind of, you know, when you're editing or working in sound that I did, you, you know, you, you, you almost have a photographic memory of content when, when you go back to it. So I, I think I call upon things from the past uh, you know, other other stuff. And it could be like picking from different things, you know, it could be from films, from TV, from from theatre even, you know, even from books. So, yeah, it's a really, it's a really tricky one. I, I think it's it almost, it occurs as a kind of whole... Life three, in general. Yeah, it's a kind of 360 sort of process, if that makes sense. When it comes to the process itself, for me, when I start any new project... If I'm asked what's my favorite part of the process, it could be uh, the reaction of others, uh, seeing the video when it's fully complete. It could be the process itself, the beginning, the, the storyboarding. Uh, for me, it would certainly be overcoming or doing something that I hadn't done before, a shot that I hadn't got. Is there a moment for you in the overall process that you favor the most? Yeah, another good question. I think the you know the writing side that the moment in the writing where you know you've you've kind of nailed it. You think, wow, this is it. This is going to work. Like it almost you know it all just kind of clicks together, and you and you've almost kind of made it already at that point where where you can kind of really feel how it's going to work. So that that's definitely one. And then yeah, you know on a shoot itself when you kind of when there's a when you get a kind of magic moment that, that can sometimes change the whole thing you're doing but there's there's these kind of magic moments in in shoots whether it's in in dialogue whether it's in just just kind of a, a, you know something happens that to create to create you know a bit of a bit of magic i mean i'm a big believer and i it's quite a complicated way to answer but i, I was watching this documentary last night actually and it was about chaos theory and it was basically about 
you know, have very, very simple things, if fed back to themselves, can create things that are really complicated. So it talked about fractals and it talked about, uh, you know, the, 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 the kind of building blocks of us are very simple, but, but it gets very complicated very quickly. And there's something, I remember when I was quite young, I, I got inspired by um, Jerry Anderson in, in terms of audio, who made a lot of good audio effects by just feeding uh, audio back through, uh, through something. And it never kind of quite sounded the same. You had to capture it and it would never sound the same again. It's a very long winded way of saying that I believe that the, you should always allow space for kind of luck or the universe or whatever, mm. it, you know, nothing should be so kind of, so locked in place that things can't, you know, conspire to make it better. So I kind of allow that in everything I do. And I think it's a really important thing to kind of get yourself out of the way sometimes, you know, rather than you know have something so well constructed that it can't there's no room for any kind of fortuitous things yeah. happening mm. a lot of the work that we when we're talking about filming you know tv work music videos corporate work all that is your business sprat but you've got a, another one called shout out yeah great idea what made you create shout out yeah, great question. I think with Shout Out, it was really, um, you know, I'd spent so, such a big part of my life kind of, you know, struggling with technology. You know, I saw the change from from tape to, to computers and, and it was just like a big part of my life was really around technology. And I just thought um, that technology kind of gets in the way of storytelling as much as it enables storytelling and really what shout out was about was was being able to facilitate anyone making videos that didn't know how to edit or didn't know how to kind of how that process worked so it's basically a way of automating video production and it turns the post-production process completely on its head so that was the idea really was to make it you know, because because everyone wants authentic content now, they don't necessarily want it heavily edited. You know, it's a way, shout out to a way of branding up content and, and making it available to everyone. You know, that was the real mission behind it. Shout out cards is my favorite part of, of shout out. And my girlfriend came to me maybe two two weeks ago and said she wanted some help because there was a teacher, she's a teacher. There's a teacher in her school that uh, had a kid and she was trying to get everyone to shoot a video to say, you know, congratulations, and then put it all together. And now going, she, I wish she came to me last night when I discovered yeah, yeah. Shout Out Cards because the being able to combine all these videos in one area where someone sent the link, it's brilliant, the, the, the Shout Out Cards. So kudos to you for, uh, for thinking of that because I can see that it just solves so many uh, things from family wanting to sh uh, shoot a video for wishing someone else a happy birthday to corporate co yeah, videos yeah. as well it's brilliant brilliant yeah i do you know what shout out cards we don't we don't market it hardly at all we should we should give it more love actually because it is brilliant and it's you know it's we've all we've all created shout out cards for each other and some of them are really moving you know when you've got a kind of bunch of people just just so shout out cards just just for the benefit of the audience is a way that you you subscribe uh, you can send out a link to, to, to multiple people to record a message and it, it compiles it up into a kind of montage message. It's a great way to get a, a montage message from um, friends and family. And it's really, really moving, actually. Sometimes these, uh, how powerful these, these messages can be. And they're just all shot on phones. It's amazing. You've got a lot going on and you've achieved a lot from TV programs to 
the, the second business shout out, what continues to drive you? Yeah, good question. I think I think it's um, really ultimately it, it's it's sort of being of service, you know, making a difference. It just sounds such a cliche, but I, I, I just think it's I think we're all kind of duty bound just to kind of move the conversation forward somehow. You know, I, I was really lucky that where I you know, as a co-founder of, of a company that, that really that, that scaled hugely doing things like Big Brother and we were one of the first companies to really get involved with editing on computers. People were laughing at it and saying, like, it's never going to happen. But, but of course it did happen. And that's how, that's how all, all shows are made now and all content's made electronically. So I, th I think it's just about, it's just about kind of doing stuff. I, I, maybe I'm lucky or unlucky in terms of, like, I don't really like shopping. I don't really like, you know, I love watching TV, but I, I kind of much prefer to be making stuff than, than, than kind of consuming stuff in a way, if that makes sense. I much prefer to just be creating and, 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 and you know, getting stuff out there. It's just, that's what drives me. That, you know, the cliche is, you know, if you find something you love, you never work a day. And I kind of, I've always managed to monetize the things I love doing I'm really lucky in that respect you know so yeah it's great I'd love to be on fly on the wall watching you watch tv that sounds strange <laughs> but let me explain why um I've got a cousin in America I go to America four or five times a year he is the managing director of a large hotel anytime I go for beers or or eat with him he can never sit still he's watching the waiters how they serve how they put down knives and forks and everything and he's and it's because he works in hospitality. I imagine they're somewhat similar, although you can't see the insides of your brain when you're watching TV compared to the average person watching TV. Am I right? Am I wrong? It, it's actually it's really interesting on that because I was like, yeah, it, it went like a long while ago, you know, it, it, it kind of ruined the whole experience for me because I could not, you know, I couldn't watch TV without without criticising it, without, you know, I was basically watching it like, like a... You know, like like a professional and it and it ruined it but interestingly enough that doesn't happen to me at all now and 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 for, and i think it's for me it's quite interesting why is is i i figured out basically that when you when you watch something you know you you've got to decide who you're being when you watch it and this is a big thing for like corporate video so i can give you an example around corporate yeah. video so say say i make a corporate video and it get and the client and i play it to the client when the client watches it, they're watching it through the eyes of like, I'm going to criticize it. You know, I've got to figure out what's wrong with it, for example. And so they never really watch it like an audience would. And it kind of taints the experience for them because that's, you know, that's what they're meant to be doing. But sometimes some great content, it, it, you know, um, gets destroyed through, through people's inability to kind of compartmentalize how they're going to consume something, if you like. So it kind of took me a little while, but I but I absolutely watch watch TV like an audience. I don't, you know, I could, I don't have to. I could switch immediately, but I, well, but why would I, you know? And then I could kind of cr criticize every part of it. But no, I absolutely watch film and TV like like an audience. Occasionally, if there's a glaring kind of mistake, I, you know, I might you know I might comment on it. But yeah, I think it's really important to for everyone to be responsible to how they watch stuff because. You can ruin it. You know, you can ruin you can ruin films forever if you if you if you watch it like a filmmaker. The penny dropped for me when you gave the example of the corporate video of them looking at it from a different angle. It, does that come through the way you've positioned yourself there to watch TV 
normally? Does that come through years of practice or is there a switch that someone can switch on and off? It's actually years of, I mean, for me, it was practice. And, and I, I, this is, this is kind of a weird thing. If you're editing something that, that, you know, when you're playing it to someone else, you as an editor see it through their eyes or, you know, or as a director, you know, by virtue of the fact that they're there watching it, you kind of see it a different way to how you've seen yeah. it. You know, it's that thing about gathering distance. And I had to really, really practice because I knew, you know, I pretty well got that, I, I, you know, in order to be better at what I did, I'm going to have to kind of be able to switch my point of view, you know, for, to a client's point of view, to the audience point of view, or whoever's point of view it is, to be able to watch what I'm making with these different eyes, if you like. So it took me a bit of a while to get it. And it, I, it, I, the way, and it's a great trick for anyone to do it. It's almost, it's almost a necessity. And it's, it's easier said than done. But the way I did it initially was to change where I was sitting. I had different points that, you know, if I was going to be like, look at it from a client's point of view, I'd stand up. Or if I was going to look at it from, you know, the client's client point of view, I might stand up in a different position. So it's really great just to get that different perspective. So yeah, I use, I use physical geography to do it. And then, yeah. and then, um, then I got better at it, but it's so important because I, you know, as filmmakers, you've got to be able to see switch. everyone's, yeah, you've got to be able to switch. It's so important. Well, three final questions. Do you have anyone you look to for advice or do you listen to podcasts or read any books? I uh, I read tons of books, you know, tons of kind of self-help, personal development books. I've been a kind of junkie for those kind of books from, from you know, from really early on. I think, you know, I qualified as a hypnotherapist, a counsellor, an LP master practitioner. I kind of, you know, I love, I love, again, actually, just going back to what we were talking about, again, just trying to figure out ways to be able to kind of understand people, understand how people think. So I'm absolutely addicted to those kind of books. Podcasts, yeah, yeah, I like like them, and I'm just fascinated by, you know, like everyone, by by you know how people how people think and do stuff. The best advice I've ever been given. It was a guy. I, he sadly died, but, but a guy that was really inspirational to me, uh, a guy called Felix Dennis, who was like famous for being very wealthy. He founded Maxine Magazine. He he was just an amazing guy, and he said like. He wrote a book called How to Get Rich, and he, he said, um, he said, where people go wrong is they listen to people that haven't actually done the thing. Because there's so many people out there that will tell you how to do something when they haven't actually done it themselves. And, yeah. and uh, so he'd never, I don't think he ever wanted to write a book, I don't know, but, but, but you know, but he was someone you listen to because he did get incredibly rich. So the best bit of advice he gave me was, yeah, always listen to people that have done the thing rather than people that, that, that kind of train you to do the thing but ne haven't necessarily done it. So I think that's really key. Yeah, there, there's an app that I came across last night. I've not used it yet. Uh, it's called Blinkist. It's an app that basically condenses books into 15, 20 minute audio. Uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. The core elements of it. So I'm looking forward to uh, uh, trialing it later on. Um, two final questions. Yeah. I want you to imagine it's the end of the decade. So it's 2030 and you're looking back on the last nine, 10 years. What would you like to be looking back on? Or what do you mean? What in terms of what I've done, in terms of the world, or, or what? Well, yeah, what specifically? What you've done? You can answer from a personal point of view, or a professional, or a combination of both. But twenty thirty, Dan would like to be looking back and say, "This is what I've achieved, or we've achieved as a company over the last nine ten years." 
Sure. Yeah, I think, well, we'll shout out, definitely. Uh, we've got a huge, we've got a five-year development roadmap of, of how to further increase the automation. So I, I want to look back at that and say, like, we've achieved everything we wanted to achieve in, in terms of kind of completely changing the way videos are made. So, uh, and, you know, and for people to actually, for it to be a new chapter, you know, it sounds very ambitious, but to be a new chapter in, in, in content creation, actually, uh, and for people to really be embracing it and for technology no longer to be a barrier to, for, for creativity. Nice. Final question. I don't know if you have if you have a partner, kids, animals in your house. If you do, all of them are safe, but your house is burning down and you can only save one item. What item are you saving? Oh, good question. Probably hard drives. There's <laughs> a bit of a cop out answer, but that's the truth of it. Yeah. Nice. Well, look, Dan, thank you very much for being my guest today. Uh, if anybody wants to learn more about uh, Shoutout or Sprat, I'll leave the links to them below on your LinkedIn as well. But uh, from my end, it's been a pleasure talking to you for the last 30 minutes. And you, Ryan. Thanks so much.